I think with our relationship, it, it appears to be so perfect and work so well, but I think it's because we've, we give and take a lot. That's professional climber Emily Harrington. Emily met her husband, pro mountaineer Adrian Ballinger, on an expedition 11 years ago. The couples figured out how to balance their partnership while adventuring in the mountains. Emily's strength comes from like pure rock climbing and she's like one of the very best at it. And then like, I'm a pretty average rock climber, but I'm like really good at walking up big snowy hills, right? And sometimes skiing back down them. And then we find adventures where we can kind of meet in the middle and help each other to excel and do better. Emily and Adrian have built a life together while encouraging each other to become better athletes. Emily is a five-time U.S. national climbing champion. In November of 2020, she became the first woman to free climb Golden Gate, a route on El Capitan in Yosemite. Adrian is also an impressive athlete and mountain guide. He summited Mount Everest eight times, once without supplemental oxygen. While their paths to become pro athletes were different, it was clear from a young age that Emily and Adrian share a love for mountains, for climbing, and for pushing their limits. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. Emily Harrington and Adrian Ballinger, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Hi. Live. Hello. So I'm going to ask you, Emily, first, like, when did you know you wanted your life to center around rock climbing? My introduction to climbing was as a kid. I was 10 years old and I started climbing at like a, on an artificial wall um, in the climbing gym. And my introduction was through climbing competitions and the youth climbing team. And so it was a passion really early on, but at the beginning it was kind of like just another sport that I did kind of just like ski racing and gymnastics and soccer and all those things, even though I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Um, but it still happened pretty gradually. Like I did a lot of competitions and then I started doing better on the world cup circuit. And then I went to college and I kept climbing and then I graduated college. And that's kind of when I got my first big sponsor and decided that I would give it, give professional climbing a, a shot and then see where it took me. And I'm still just in that place of seeing where it's taking me. <laughs> it's taken you really f amazing places. Yeah, it really has. You could have probably been a really amazing competitor at a lot of sports. Why did you decide to choose climbing? Like, what about it made it stick? When I was younger, I think I did like that I was good at it. There was a draw there. I'm a competitive person and I was... Uh, I have a background in gymnastics and so I had a lot of upper body strength and a lot of body awareness and flexibility and so I sort of was naturally pretty good at climbing and I did enjoy that and I was very competitive so I liked the competition aspect of it and then it is a very cerebral creative sport um, there's a lot of kind of solving the puzzle um, for me it's never it's never boring because there's always a new challenge and a new way to experience climbing and you get to travel the world and be out in nature. So it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's a lifestyle more than anything. And I think that's what I enjoy most about it. So Adrian, how did you get into climbing? So I also started young, but I'd say my path felt pretty differently. So I, I was born in the UK, moved to Massachusetts when I was six years old. And my family was a 
very non-outdoorsy family. But luckily, at around 12 years old, I ended up like uh, befriending this kid my age named Greg. And his dad was a great rock climber and a good skier. And he started taking his son and me out and teaching us these skills. So kind of like a first mentor that I had as a teenager and fell in love with climbing and skiing and all these things. I wasn't very good at any of them. And... uh, And I also never considered it being anything but a hobby. Uh, Academics was super important to my family. So I was like focused. What were you studying? Like what was the focus? Well, I mean, this is all through like junior high school and high school. But sort of I I would say my family decided I was going to be a doctor because I was great at science and math and things like that. So um, I ended up going to college in Washington, D.C. And lucky sort of like these fortunate events that happen in our lives right my sort of second mentor was a climber named chris warner who's kind of a well-known high altitude climber who between high altitude expeditions was running an outdoor leadership program at georgetown the school that i went to and so there i was for pre-med double major all the stuff and i fell into this like outdoor leadership climbing program. And so on my first Christmas break, he invited me down to Ecuador. So first time kind of like going to South America to climb 20,000 foot volcanoes. And I was the intern. So I was like making coffee for everyone and doing whatever I had to do to be on the trip. And I ended up summiting my first two 20,000 foot peaks down there. I had no idea what I was doing. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And it totally clicked. I was like, this is what I want to do. But I'm meant to be going to school and being a doctor. So finished college, but every spring break, every summer break, every day off, I was working with Chris, teaching rock climbing, teaching ice climbing, going on these big expeditions, graduated from school, persuaded my parents that I should spend a year to get climbing and skiing out of my system. So I deferred med school acceptance. And uh, that was 25 years ago. And I haven't gone back to med school yet. Um, So, you know, my (laughs) parents, it's still not unusual for my dad to ask like maybe this year is it time to go back but i'm still here in their 20s adrian and emily both started working as professional athletes emily was excelling in climbing competitions around the world and adrian was climbing the world's biggest mountains eventually guiding others to do the same then in 2012 emily was invited by legendary mountaineer conrad anchor to go on an everest expedition Adrian was also on the mountain that season with a different group. That's when the sparks started flying, 21,000 feet above sea level. Okay, I might be exaggerating, but I'm a sucker for a good adventure love story. How did you meet? We actually met on Mount Everest. Um, Oh, that's so hot. Of course you (laughs) did. Yeah, it's funny because I was just, uh, I was 25 and I was mainly a sport climber just coming out of the competition circuit, kind of not sure what I wanted to do with my climbing, but I was sponsored by the North Face at the time. I'd never been high at all. I'd never been to high altitude. And we had a great expedition. We had a long expedition. We were there for almost three months. I got really sick. Uh, There was a lot, you know, there was just a lot it was a world that I was thrown into that I had was very unfamiliar you got with. Altitude sickness, like yeah, I got altitude sickness. I got respiratory sickness, like all the things. But I recovered and stayed on the mountain. Met Adrian eventually during a rescue of our one of my teammates who ended up being totally fine. Um, but that's how we met. 
I mean, there's there's so much this wild story, but it yeah, was really this story. wild year on the mountain. It was it was my fifth year on the mountain. So Mount Everest is a big part of like where I spend my time and energy. And so when one of Emily's teammates needed this rescue, we were actually at 21,000 feet on the mountain. And my team was like really strongly resourced with incredibly strong and experienced Sherpa, fully certified mountain guides, an expedition doctor, loads of oxygen. And uh, so we, I, we ended up coming over to their camp at 21,000 feet. And then, you know, the patient was doing better. And so Connor was like, let's go have a coffee. And it was actually like sitting around having coffee where I like finally noticed Emily for the first time. And I knew there were pro climbers on the mountain, but like, it's very unusual to see like, um, or especially at that time, like super cute blonde (laughs) girl, 25 years old on the mountain. And I was like the first like espresso is definitely going to Emily. And then we ended up just chatting and hanging out at camp too, like at 21,000 feet, like a pretty painful, uncomfortable place. But that's where like, I initially was like, wow, like I want to find out more about this person. And then we had unfortunately this series of kind of like really sad things happen, including one of my Sherpa teammates being killed in the ice fall. My team ended up deciding to leave the mountain because we felt like the, the risk was too high that season. And we basically threw a big party down in base camp to celebrate and memorialize and do all the things you do. And, and Emily's team came and that's when we like really connected. Um, but it was also, it was 2012. There wasn't really like a lot of satellite internet or any of those things yet. So it was like, okay, now I'm leaving the mountain and maybe I'll never see you again. And it was that couple of months later that Emily was like, let's go on a climbing trip and uh, flew out to Reno and we hopped in my Tacoma and like went climbing for two weeks and we finally got to see if we like actually liked each other. I like have never gotten this many goosebumps doing a podcast interview. <laughs> I really love a good adventure love story, but I think it's really unique because you know, when you're doing an adventure like this on top of Everest, the stakes are high. You're really stripped away of all of the BS. You're your most vulnerable, raw, real, authentic self. And you're probably like that anyway, but I think it's a beautiful place to meet someone. Yeah. yeah. I mean. I think we very much had a no BS start. It, it was a like, no that's... BS start. <laughs> it, absolutely. Yeah. It was very real. You guys had the coolest wedding. Tell me about it. Um, Our wedding was awesome because we decided we were going to get married in Ecuador, which is a place that's super meaningful for both of us. Adrian spent a lot of time down there. He mentioned it's the first place that he went and climbed big mountains. And And like two years into our relationship, we did a trip down there. We went there, yeah. And we actually went to the beach after, went surfing, after climbing a bunch of mountains or skiing mountains. I can't remember what we were doing. And like we were only two years in and we didn't get married until we had been dating for over 10 years. So in terms of timeline, you get the idea. But I remember we were sitting on the beach two years in and, and we decided if we ever got married, we were going to do it on the beach in Ecuador. Yeah. And it was like this weird, uncomfortable talk. Like, did we just talk about marriage? Like, you know, oh. one of those weird early talks where like, maybe it's too early, but whatever. Um, and so we ended up actually doing it when Adrian proposed to me, but he proposed in like in the thick of COVID. And so we were like, we're going to have to wait a few years because we want to get married in Ecuador. And How did he propose? <sighs> On the top of... Very nervously. (laughs) We went for a hike. We went for like a run hike in the middle of COVID, you know, and it was kind of snowy. We were post-holing a lot. I didn't want to go to the summit because it was like becoming a lot of work. And Adrian's like, we got to go to the summit. And I was like, why? (laughs) This is stupid. It's like the perfect time to propose when Emma was completely annoyed uh, and freezing cold. We were like post-holing up to our thighs (laughs) to get to the top of this mountain. I was like, this isn't a run anymore. This is just 
dumb why are we here and then he proposed and it was awesome it all made sense <laughs> Um, but we decided to get married in Ecuador and we invited a ton of people who we thought wouldn't come. Turns out most of them came. Um, and we also added this little adventure at the beginning because we love Ecuador so much for the fact that it has mountains and beach. We offered as like an add on an Alpenglow expeditions trip, guided trip to climb Cotopaxi, which is a volcano. A uh, nineteen thousand foot volcano. So fully glaciated, fully high glaciated. altitude, like a real and, mountain. And you would guide guests, like even guests well, that our, yeah, we invited all one hundred and ten people who were going to the wedding. We and we thought like six or eight would like decide 12. to go, and we ca- we were like cap at twelve to Alpaglow, my company, which I have two partners in. They're like, what what are you doing? And I was like, don't worry, it's gonna be a tiny group. We're gonna have fun. Forty two people said, I'm climbing Cotopaxi before we go to the beach to get married, and we're like, oh shit. Like, what What do we do now? Of all different levels? Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably two-thirds had never climbed a big mountain before. Like, so many, like, sport climber sport friends, climbers, like gym friends climber friends. Gym. Like, Did you have to send them, then, like, a training like, my guide? my college yeah. roommate, one of my college roommates who lives in, like, Minnesota is like, I'm climbing here. I'm like, what is happening? Alex Honnold, I'm climbing here. We're like, oh, gosh, what have we done? I want you guys to get married again. <laughs> it was <me>. so <laughs> fun. So we had, like... 12 mountain guides you know just this huge crew we like had to talk to everyone in the ecuadorian climbing scene like we're so sorry can we please take over this one mountain for one day or you know for three days actually because that's how long it takes to climb but like in the end 30 something people summited on this totally rowdy day with 70 mile per hour winds like not your average guiding day on a big mountain um a half dozen of us skied in. So yeah, we climbed like, the mountain. Oh, so we climbed the mountain, had this crazy cool experience with all these people. And then the next day we flew to the beach and got married the next day. How did you logistically pull that uh, off? That's when someone was like, you guys are going to be good at having kids. Because yeah. this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's just all about breaking the big, audacious, crazy, unimaginable things into small little pieces, right? And that's what expeditions are all about. Like if you think about trying to go from tahoe to the summit of mount everest like and you've never climbed before that is an impossible goal it's you can't even conceptualize it but if you're like well first i need to figure out how to climb a little hill outside of san francisco where i live and be successful on that and then i'm going to go to tahoe and do a hill there and then i'm going to go to whitney the tallest peak in california and then i'm going to go to denali and like breaking things down into pieces and feeling success in the pieces instead of in the ultimate goal that's out there and you might never achieve, I think that's what makes complicated things possible. When we come back, Emily and Adrian talk about becoming parents and share advice on cultivating an adventurous relationship. Climber Emily Harrington and mountaineer Adrian Ballinger have chased some pretty amazing feats, together and separately. They've climbed the world's tallest mountains, set records, and built careers as pro athletes. I mean, come on, the couple met on Mount Everest. Now Emily and Adrian are taking on a new adventure. In November of 2022, they had a baby boy named Arrow. So how's it been having a kid? It's really fun. Um, it's tiring, but in a way that I didn't anticipate. 
it to be. It's really satisfying. And I think it exceeded my expectations. Like parenthood, motherhood, at least right now. I just always thought it might be monotonous or I might miss my previous life or I might wish that it was different or wish I had more freedom, but I actually don't at all. Like I'm totally content and happy even in the tired, frustrating moments. And that's been a really cool, refreshing place to be in. I'm curious, you know, as a woman adventurer, there's not like this long lineage of woman adventure moms. You're still really early. Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I started this career, I thought that it would end when I had a kid, just because that's kind of how it seemed like the trajectory went with women. But then thankfully, I have had women who came a little bit before me who kind of showed me that it didn't have to be that way. But it was hard. You know, they fought and they were kind of like the pioneers of of this adventure space. And so gradually I started to realize that it was possible with a lot of work and a lot of commitment and dedication and a lot of balance and a really supportive partner. But yes, I agree. It does feel early and it does feel like there's a lot of women now who, who reach out to me who are like, this is so inspiring. Like, how do you do it? You know, what's, you know, what, how's it been so far? Like they want to know more. They want, they just want to know because it is different as a woman, I think. And we, you know, we can't deny we've had a lot of help. Like we have a third who's helping us to be here right now recording a podcast together. Without him, we wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, we have a friend who's like essentially serving as our nanny right now who's helping us with the baby. It's a manny. It's a manny. He's a manny. I love it. He's a manny. He's awesome. Um, And he's great. And so we do have that. Um, But then we also have each other and we can trade off. And it just takes a lot. It just takes more effort than it did before. How has being a parent changed your outlook on adventure? I mean, to me, being a parent is like the biggest adventure of them all. Yeah. I mean, I, it's still really early on for us, right? So we're just like in the beginning, like it, kind of the honeymoon phase of child raising, like every day is so rad. And I know it will not always feel that there will be harder days and harder periods than we have right now. He's also kind of a potato sack right now. He's not walking yet or moving. And so right now it's pretty easy. We've just like with we just have to be more efficient and do all logistics even better than we used to. But I think we haven't started to have the hard situations yet, which is like, how much risk do we actually, are we willing to take? How many weeks are we willing to be away from him? Like he can't go on a Himalayan expedition to 8,000 meters with me. And so like this year, it's very easy to just be like, well, I'm not doing a big Himalayan expedition this year but I know I'm not done doing Himalayan expeditions in my life. And so like that natural like tension is still there, but I don't feel like we've really like dove in yet to, to what it means. or had to really figure it out. So right now, most of the like, how is it adventuring? Like, it's just more fun. It's like a slightly different lens on everything we used to do in a slightly different way. We're doing it now with him. It's more fun and it's harder, but it's kind of like, we like hard things. We like doing things that are complicated. We like doing things that are logistically challenging and we're actually quite good at it, especially Adrian, when he talked about the logistics, like doing something with a baby just requires a lot more organization and a lot more stuff and a lot more thinking ahead. 
And we're quite good at that, actually. And so we're kind of thriving in it right now. I watched you today. It was pretty incredible. We're at this Rebel Shine event, and we had a yoga class this morning. And your baby was between you two. And your baby started, like, getting fussy. And I just saw Adrian casually pick up the baby, hold him very gracefully, and walk up. And the baby stopped crying immediately. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a good dad. That's really kind, <laughs> patient, awesome dad. And I was like, this, these guys are a great team. At one point, you know, you had the baby between your legs and were able to stretch and coo at him. And he was just loving it and looking up at you. And then you guys traded off. And it was like very seamless. But yet it took this communication that, you know, you didn't necessarily communicate with words because we're in yoga and we're quiet, but you just kind of knew. And you each took the lead. It was really cool to watch. Well, it's fun. It worked out. You saw us at a good moment. Yeah, that was a good, that was a good, good communicative <laughs> but, moment. But I think that is kind of the basis of our relationship throughout has been like communication, trust, and honesty. And we have dealt with so many hard things, like taking big risks in the mountain, like watching him take a huge fall. Like that's one of the first times I've been on the other side of the coin of not being able to help. And it was this process of like, I think faith in yourself, trust in yourself, intense communication with your partners and me of why it was worth it and what you were going to do differently and all these things. And like, I think that's the same way we approach having a child is trying to just always go back to those fundamentals of communication and trust in each other's instincts, even though neither of us actually know how to raise a kid. Like, we don't have a clue, but we're like figuring it out day by day and arguing about it and debating about it and doing the best we can and then being okay when it doesn't go the way we planned it to go. Any advice to other people who want to cultivate an adventurous relationship together? I mean, I think I think a lot of people want to find that adventure partner, that like person for these to just have this. Like, we're so lucky. We do probably like 70% of our adventures together now and have the, like on a powder day in Tahoe, it's like, I know my most natural, best built-in partner is right here and we're going to go do something together. And that's amazing. And I see a lot of people wanting that. I think if I had any advice, it would be like to cultivate your own adventure life first. Like to, instead of focusing on always finding that other person, I think it's like focusing on finding joy within yourself, within your community, within what you you do have I know I really needed to find that and then I do believe that like connection with the right person to to be additive to that not that you need it but it becomes additive is is easier to find and create I think that makes a lot of sense there was a time in my 20s where I was on a string of dating photographers boatmen stuntmen and pro surfers or semi-pro surfers because I just wanted to be a better surfer and I wanted to live on a boat and I wanted to have someone take photos for my stories. But that's not how you find a partner. <laughs> it's great. Good for business. It, I mean, it was just fun. But like I ended up meeting Johnny when I wasn't thinking mm. about yeah. it. And I was teaching surfing to other women and there was some men in the water and they were cute. And I was like, well, if, if, if it's not for me, someone else might like them in the group. And yeah, 
Yeah. And there was Johnny. I think that, I guess it's sort of just piggybacking off of what you both said, is kind of following your own passion and whatever's feels good for you and not focusing so much on like finding the one and realizing that it's not going to fit perfectly or it's not going to be how you expect it. It's never that way. We give and take a lot. Um, we support one another when it may not always be what's best for us, but it's, you know, it's not always what's best for me, but it's what's best for Adrian in the moment and then vice versa. Like he supported me on LCAP for years and put his dreams aside and went up there with me when he could have been like going to the Himalaya and trying to climb the biggest mountains. Like he probably sacrificed a lot of time in order to see me succeed. And then once I succeeded, then we kind of flipped and I supported him on a project the rest of that year. And so I think recognizing that there's, for one thing, not to have that be your priority, like having to find the one, and then realizing that when you do have a, a partner in that person, it's going to take some sacrifice and some, some to be in support mode in order to get the support as well. So it's not going to be perfect. Yeah, I also, I think that part, it's not perfect. Like, we're not perfect. We don't. You know, it doesn't just like mesh perfectly all the time. Like it takes a lot of work. In some ways, Emily and Adrian's athletic background has prepared them for marriage and parenthood. They know how to solve problems and handle unexpected challenges, which are pretty useful skills when it comes to raising a family and to building a wild life. Emily and Adrian, thank you so much for coming on Wild Ideas Worth Living. I loved hearing about your relationship and your adventures, and I'm excited to keep following your parenting journey as Arrow gets older. If you want to learn more about Emily and Adrian, check them out on Instagram. Emily is at Emily A. Harrington, and Adrian is at Adrian Ballinger. We'll link to their profiles in the show notes. We interviewed Emily and Adrian at the Revel Shine Wine event in Laguna Beach, and it was so fun to connect with these athletes in person. Huge shout out to Revel Shine Wine for the invitation. A special thank you also to SCP Hotels for providing incredible accommodations for our team in Laguna Beach. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, produced by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Pierce Nitzberg of Puddle Creative, and our senior producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow the show, take time to rate it, and write a review wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. Did you know that over 100 million people living in the United States don't have outside spaces close to home? That's one in three people across the country without easy access to space where they can enjoy fresh air, have a picnic, or read a book in the shade. Time outside should never be a luxury. REI Co-op is on a mission to get everyone in America outside in five minutes or less, regardless of where we live. Visit REI.com forward slash outside in five to learn more.